0: All right, Scott, you're going to have to start this show because I am telling you right now, once I start talking, I'm not going to stop.
1: How is that different than every other
0: show? We went through several seasons. We never changed the theme. And then we stopped recording because life got kind of mean. But I'm here to say it's a brand new day because the Slumgullion has a new theme. It's the same show, just a whole lot shorter. This is the Slumgullion theme, written for you, a loyal supporter. Jeff and Scott still talk a lot, but time they ain't got. Still, they'll give it a shot on the Slumgullion. Wow, 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 wow. That's right, it's the Slumgullion. Wow, 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 wow. Hold on tight for the Slumgullion. A Quinn Martin production in color.
1: And welcome to the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. I'm half your host, Scott. On the other side of the country is your other half of your host, Jeff. How you doing, Jeff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, it's gonna be one of these shows. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, I was curious. Uh, did you ever play sports in school? Mm-hmm. It's uh it's gonna be like that, huh? Okay. All right. Keep a leash on that beast, man. I appreciate you sitting on your rant till I said my piece. I actually did play sports in school. I, I realize I, I don't seem the type and and believe me it was not my destiny. It was not even a vague inclination on my part. But my dad was a jock, and he managed to attend a college as folks couldn't afford thanks to scholarships for both football and baseball. He was even good enough to get recruited by the Pittsburgh Pirates. But let let me be clear. This was not one of those this boy's life situations. He encouraged me to try, but he never pressured me to get involved in sports. But his example pressured me. His very existence stood as a rebuke to his bookish and nerdy son, who preferred reading and listening to Bob Newhart albums or Broadway show tunes to, you know, getting concussed on the gridiron. But I did try, starting with t-ball at about age five, then flag football, then little league. But I'm, I'm not really tailor-made for team sports. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that I became a writer, since looking back, all the best and most productive parts of my life were spent sitting alone in a room. So I didn't really click with the whole team spirit, athletic gestalt until in, in, high school when I was recruited in a cross country, which was perfect for me because it is the official sport of oddballs and loners. As the poet Emma Lazarus might have written, give me your weirdos, your introverts, your poorly socialized, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, which is a little tough right now because you've been stuffed inside a locker by a jock. But Little League, as it turned out, had a huge effect on me because that's where I first heard the aphorism, you learn more from failure than you do from success. And as it turned out, our team was in the cellar that year, so I received a classical education in failure. For instance, I learned that I wasn't really cut out for baseball. I could hit, I could catch, but I I threw, not like a girl, more like a gull, like a thing that has no arms and can't throw at all. But the aphorism continued to prove its worth, and in the early 2000s, it actually kind of inspired Better Living Through Bad Movies, When my friend Sherry Zollinger and I were discussing Jerry Warren, Uh, I don't know if you remember Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. He's known for tripe, bottom of the barrel, and bottom of the bill drive-in fare like teenage zombies, face of the screaming werewolf, and the wild. World of Batwoman, the last one, you may know, because that was given the treatment on Mystery Science Theater 3000. And if you haven't seen it, I cannot recommend that episode highly enough. To borrow a joke from Singing in the Rain, Jerry was a writer, director, producer who couldn't write, direct, or produce. A triple threat. But what really pissed me off is that he disproved the aphorism, because his last film, Frankenstein Island, from 1971, is just as bad as his first, Man Beast, made in 1956. And that takes effort. Man Beast is a bargain basement, black and white creature feature stuffed with stock footage and starring absolutely no one. Frankenstein Island, on the other hand, is in color and actually features some recognizable actors like Cameron Mitchell, Steve Brody, Robert Clark from The Hideous Sun Demon, John Carradine as the eponymous doctor, and Catherine Victor as his daughter, Sheila Frankenstein, which inspired me to write my own revisionist take on the old Universal Monsters, focusing on Count Dracula's daughter, Debbie Dracula. Anyway, I was disillusioned that the life wisdom I'd absorbed from the Winston-smoking, Schlitz-drinking dads who coached me was wrong. But Sherry tried to cheer me up. She said, well, maybe it's just that what Jerry learned from his films isn't the same thing you did. And I said, the only thing I learned from Jerry Warren films is not to watch them. And she said, and yet you still do. Okay, fair point. And actually, it nicely illustrates the central tragedy of my life, that I am driven to love what I hate. Eventually, we decided that given the law of averages, Jerry probably did learn something from his movies, just not how to make better ones. And that led inevitably to what became our thesis statement for Better Living Through Bad Movies, that no matter what message a bad movie thinks it's sending, it's almost never the same message we, the audience, actually get, assuming the movie says anything at all besides enjoy our cross-promotional merchandising deal with Taco Bell. So we decided to write a book about crappy films and the secret life hacks they offer you, the credulous viewer because that's the kind of weirdos we were. And thus, Better Living Through Bad Movies was born. And since there's a writer strike on and I got nothing but time on my hands, I decided to finally finish the sequel to Better Living. And to keep me motivated and on task, because that's an issue, I've started a Substack, like every other ink-stained wretch on earth, where I'll be posting new reviews of awful films each week. I would love it if you would check it out. And if you like it, subscribe to find out when new stuff drops. There's a link to it on our website, theslumgullion.com. It's mean, but funny.
0: OK. Uh, <laughs> nice story. Um. So does this mean I finally have to write the why I love cats piece? Yes. OK. Understood. <laughs> I don't say that lightly because that means I got to watch it, too. Yes. Yes, it does. That's right. We had this discussion long ago, but if the book is getting finished, then yes, you're going to have to watch Cats, and I'm going to have to to talk about why I like it.
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, to quote Alec Guinness's last line in Bridge on the River Kwai, what have I done? Because, yes,
0: I am one of those people, but that's not what I want. That's not what I want to rant. Well, maybe I do want to talk about Cats for a minute. No, no. I'll save it. All right. I will save it because I already have a first draft written somewhere. I actually did write the thing a while back. I'm just not sure where it is. It was back when you didn't have a computer. And it was on longhand. So it's in a notebook somewhere. Remember, I haven't had a computer for a long time. That's right.
1: Even now we're recording just using your
0: phone. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 there, are, there are, are are issues. And now my tablet is dead. But anyway. No. Okay. So um, I saw some movies, Scott. I heard you saw some movies. And by saying I heard you saw
1: some movies, I mean, I just
0: heard you bitching and moaning and screaming. So I'm intrigued. I'd like to hear more. Okay. Yeah, I had kind of this really weird mind fuck of a couple of days of movie watching and on the plus side i didn't pay for any of the marijuana so the buzzes that were had during these experiences were entirely free which was a bonus but still i went through some okay the 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 journey begins one night with me and my limey watching network uh, neither of us had watched it in a while. We were good and buzzed, and we both kind of, but pretty much at the same time, decided we wanted to watch Network. So if you've never seen Network, just watch it. <laughs> Find it. It's available somewhere. Watch it. You need to see it. It's one of the best films ever.
1: <laughs> it is, in my opinion, the least dated film of 1976, because everything it predicted is coming true right now.
0: And it still has some of the best writing.
1: Courtesy of Patty Shaevsky, personal hero and the only three-time solo winner of an Academy Award for screenwriting. All the other three-time winners had collaborators.
0: Now, granted, I made fun of, and Walter and I were both laughing, at the fact that in real life, you would tell these people to shut the fuck up because they are all guilty of monologuing. Mm-hmm. but when the monologues are as good as this, you don't care. You shut up and you listen. Oh, that Ned Beatty speech in the conference. Room. Yes. Yes. And it's, it amazes me just a, how funny the film is. It's it hilarious. is still an exceptionally, have you watched it recently, Scott? I have not watched it recently, but now you're making me want to. Um, you should. <laughs> it is definitely worth a rewatch, especially as you said, since now everything is coming true to hear the dialogue. Again, I mean some of it is just so as monologue and as over the top as it is. It's just so brilliant. I mean, the writer and me just sat there and if I could still get a boner, I would have had I would have had a writing boner. <laughs> it's one of those movies. And so I was in a good mood. I, you know, it was a great night. He left. I was high. Things were good. Next night, one of my old theater buddies calls me and says, hey, you want to go see Bo is Afraid? What is Bo is Afraid? That's the new Ari Aster film with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, God. Oh, no. Okay. You actually saw that? Yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. People have been bitching and moaning about this for weeks now. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I absolutely annoys me uh, the fuck out of this. And it kind of ties into the next film. There are things about this movie that I think are absolutely fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like mind numbingly brilliant. Like I just sat there in awe at just It just at the way the scene was constructed. Everything about these moments. I was like, this is some brilliant cinema. And then, and then, how to describe this? Um, Okay, Scott, you were into the theater for a while. You know theater people, right? I am still living that down, yes. Okay, all right, all right. Um, Does the name Gritzowski mean anything to you? Of course. I, you know, I have seen My Dinner with Andre. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Now, um, I, I... I don't know how best to get into this, but let's just, i th- this is for you, and if the rest of the audience wants to Google for the background, they can. You will get this, Scott. The other half of this movie reminded me of a Grotowski acolyte gone mad with power. Ooh, really?
1: Hmm,
0: that sounds... Horrifying. It is horrifying because it is some of the most pretentious horse shit I have seen on screen in years. And I thought Midsummer was pretentious. Oh God. Yeah, I, admit I didn't. I didn't like Ari Aster's last film. I mean, uh, to be honest, the only thing I liked about any of his films was uh Tony Klucek's performance in his first film, A loveland I thought she was amazing. wasn't a fan of the movie Midsummer. Meh. This one I like a hell of a lot better than Midsummer. But the pretentiousness, I wanted to punch people in the head. Well, it didn't hurt me quite that
1: bad, but I'll hold your coat.
0: And uh, okay, so I knew a group of theater actors when back in my theater days, mm-hmm. who were all acolytes of Grotowski. You seriously in Ohio, man? That shit oh, spread yes. far because because their leader studied under him. No, oh no.
1: Yes, that that's how that's how cults start. Yes. When somebody studied and, with the great master, opens up their own
0: franchise. And it kind of was a cult. It kind of was a call. They were great people. You know, I again, individually, I loved all of them. But um, I took one class with the guy and we argued constantly. But he gave me great grades because he said I, he said I stood my ground up to him. So I respected the man because he respected me. But he was but he pretentious motherfucker. He knew what he was doing, and he taught his people well. His people knew what they were doing. Their stuff was so incredibly technically brilliant, but there was no soul. You know what I'm talking about.
1: Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's why I, for a long time, I thought maybe it was just me, and I just didn't get this. And perhaps that's true. But there was a certain strain in experimental theater, and I felt like this long before I saw my dinner with Andre, that I I respected the effort to break boundaries but then it became its own dogma yes now you're in you're exactly in the same position as the regime you overthrew how are you in
0: improvement yep. yep yep yep. i completely agree with you that was why i never got into that i i performed with a lot of his crew several of his crew did a couple of my rolling donut shows oh really yeah yeah okay i mean they, he he had some brilliant people and thankfully, the one thing that I will say about that group is, you know, they were more than willing to um, embrace other people's ideas. So I gave them all the respect they gave me. You know what I mean? Yes, I did. So we had absolutely no problems as long as we didn't discuss their when I saw their So I could say you were great. They just didn't ask me what I thought of the show <laughs> because I wasn't going to lie. <laughs> Look, if I told them, I thought you were great. They knew that I was being honest. They just didn't ask me what I thought of the show. That was the way it was. I would see their stuff and I would go, that was wonderful, but I want to punch everybody. And that's how I felt watching Bo is Afraid.
1: (laughs) Okay. That one sentence makes me know this movie is not and never will be for me.
0: Oh, absolutely. You would hate it with a passion. Uh. Oh, no. You, I don't even think you'd get through it. I honestly don't know if you would get through it.
1: I mean, maybe with enough pot. I do use it mostly as a pain reliever.
0: Uh Well, no, I I don't think there is enough pot for you, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing you, I truly think these characters would irritate you so much. You would want... You would feel like I did the first time I saw Les Miserables. A half an hour in, you want them all dead so you could just go home. Yeah, that seems likely. I do not doubt that in the slightest. But I have to say, about... A quarter of the movie I truly think is brilliant. But I walked out of the film without a buzz in a migraine. Oh, God. And that just proves to me that, you know, I mean, watching an Ari Aster film is always an experience. I will give it that. It is an experience. I just don't know if I can say it's an experience that I want to continue having. Yeah, I mean, having a planter's wart removed from your foot is an experience
1: that alone does not recommend it
0: but i can recommend parts of it and honestly i kind of give the studio credit for saying okay be as weird as you want you know i respect the fact that he got as weird as he wanted whether i like his weirdness or or not this is him at his this is him in his batman returns tim burton if you know what i mean oh okay all right except i like batman returns (laughs) it's weird but it's not pretentious it's no it's in a way it is pretentious I freely admit but it's fun I didn't I I, I wasn't having fun with Bo is afraid and also like I said I also think that most of the characters are irritating as fuck but the the, the technical skill and like I said some things were genuinely brilliant so I I, the film confused the fuck out of me Scott and I don't like being confused while watching a movie and then the next night <laughs> Continuing the trend, the limey and I went to go see Renfield. Hmm. Now, have you seen Renfield yet?
1: I have not. Although I, I have to admit,
0: I'm, I'm I've am i been attracted by the trailer. I'm curious. Uh, I'm... Okay, okay. I can do this and be as non. No, it's fine. You know, I no, don't care. Honestly, about... no, Scott. No, I can because my rant can do this because it, my my rant doesn't involve the plot. Uh, of oh, okay. certain things about the film. What I will say is 99% I love and worship this film in the way I have not felt since The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Holy fucking shit. Are you kidding me? That is quite a statement. This movie is, to me, a modern Buckaroo Banzai. Um, but what I mean by that is it is a complete and total mess. It throws absolutely everything at the fucking wall, and it's a beautiful, wonderful, gross, sick experiment. Not everything works, but it is an absolute blast. Oh, my God. Nicolas Cage as Dracula is the most amazing thing that I never knew I needed in my life. I say it again, I really wish this had come out before he filmed The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent so that they could have talked about this and that movie. Because his performance in this is, he's not going to get an award except maybe like the Fangoria Award, which I hope he gets because his performance is outstanding. Hmm. His chemistry with Nicholas Holt is outstanding. Nicholas Holt is incredible. I am going to butcher her name, so I'm not even going to say it. But um, one of the other characters she was in 24. She uh, she was uh, been in lots of. Uh, she has a voice that you once you hear it, you you instantly know who it is.
1: I believe her name is pronounced something like Shorey Agdashlu.
0: Uh, she plays a uh, basically the mafia don, and she is scary as fuck. Ben Schwartz is phenomenal. Now, one of the things that didn't work for me in the beginning was Aquafina. I'm not gonna lie; I kind of hated her for about the first twenty minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. But then she grew on me. Was it the character or her performance? It was her performance. I wasn't sure what she was doing. I really wasn't sure what she was doing at first. But then I think it just clicked with the rest of the movie. Oh, okay. Because it is the movie is ba- bounces all over tones. With a lot of critics, that is an automatic
1: demerit, but. Tone hopping kind of makes me happy.
0: Me too. Oh, you know. Come on, Scott. You know, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The only (laughs) thing I don't like is when a movie just can't decide on a tone and just fumbles around looking for something. Hey, is this working? Is this working? No, I like it when it's deliberate.
0: This is very deliberate. Um, This is, in fact, the first time that I can honestly say that I like CG blood. Oh, there is practical effects, but there is. If you have a stupendous amount of CG blood, (laughs) a cartoonish level of blood is in this movie, but you're you're making me excited. You're making me salivate. That's the point. That's the point. Everything about this film eventually worked for me, except for one thing. Now I had heard in the beginning way, way, way early on that a dance number may or may not have been filmed and that the film could have been a musical. I could not find the report to verify that. I never, just in the back of my mind, I I read somewhere that a dance number or something had been filmed that there could be a musical number. So I was thinking, okay, Nicolas Cage's Dracula, lots of gore from what I've heard. If this is a song, this could be right up, this could be it. This could be it. So I watched the film, and like I said, I fucking loved it. I absolutely adore the film, but there is no musical number. I had no problem with it. And then it gets to the end credits, which shows pictures, stills from the film. And one of the stills the end credit shows is from a fucking dance number.
1: Oh, it's like what they did with that big dance number in the Distaff Ghostbusters. It just wound up playing under the the closing
0: credits. It doesn't even get played. We don't even get to see it. We get a still. Oh, shit. Okay. You now understand my anger. <laughs> I do. I do. That's just taunting. And Here's the worst thing. Here's the worst part, Scott. Here is the absolute most maddening thing. That dance number is available on YouTube. It's going to be available as I am assuming on the blue, ray I watched the dance number. It totally fits in character. It made a perfect, and the absolute worst part is, in the movie, while I'm watching the film, they're setting this scene up, and I'm like, this is a setup, this feels like a dance number, this feels like a music number, come on, give it to me, this is it, oh my god, this is it, and I, I had blue balls. <laughs> I shit you not, they set it up, and yes, the scene in question takes place immediately after the blue, my blue balls. Ah. So it's exactly where it was supposed to be. It is a beautiful little moment and it would have added to the ball, to the throw, everything at the wallness of the film perfectly. Sounds like somebody lost their nerve. It's not even that long. It's not even
1: I think it's under three minutes. Yeah, but three, okay. three minutes is an eternity if you've got, if you've got a hard cap for your runtime. Because that, that needs a lot of dialogue and story stuff cut.
0: Okay, that is that is true. That is true. Uh, now uh, there, there could be a cap. I don't know the reasons. That I cannot. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Theorize, because I do not know anything about it. All I know is, in the this is what I got, and that's why I'm pissed off, <laughs> because the dance number totally. I didn't rewatch it and you know, like go to YouTube and watch the dance number and put it back in. But I wa- but I did watch the, it immediately after I watched the film a second time. And I, it, it, it fits the film perfectly. I don't – it had to have been a time thing because I cannot understand why they cut it because it is adorable. It's character building. It really is character building. They use a well, dance true. number for character building. Yeah, it doesn't often happen. Building. No, but it works, it, it, and I'm just genuinely angry <laughs> that they cut it.
1: Let's see if we can start a groundswell of outrage that will sweep the nation, and then
0: they'll have to put out a director's cut. Well, I know because I'm sure the, the, the thing will be on the Blu-ray, so it'll be there, so it doesn't matter. It's just, I, like I said, I truly, especially after seeing it, think they fucked up. <laughs> that should have been a part of the film.
1: That's what I mean. If it's a deleted scene, fine, you get to see it. But as you mentioned, you can you can watch it on YouTube. Now, I, I like it when they actually put the stuff back in the movie.
0: In this particular case, I would love to see the movie with that scene in it, because, it's, again, you know how I am with random musical numbers and where it is in the film and how it works. It would have worked in the film. It is the perfect placement for a random musical number. I Man. love the film. Had that scene been in it, it would have been number one in my favorite film of all time. Seriously.
1: Seriously. The like musical
0: number been in the film. I know for a fact my jaw would have dropped at that point and I would have said to Walter, this is my favorite film ever. I know it so because close. I love everything else about the film that much and that dance. number just sent it over the edge. But the fact that they cut it and the fact that they put a still from it in the end credits. It was a bit of a fuck you. Yes. So I take points back from them. I don't care how much I like it. I like it, but it gets a general thumbs up as a movie. Oh, God. Oh, no, Scott. You absolutely have to see it. You absolutely have to see it just for Nick Cage alone. And I do think that you will appreciate the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. I mean, seriously, the woman and you will you will recognize her immediately. Uh, who plays the mob Don, basically, is so freaking scary. And she's good at that, but she is truly terrifying in this. And I mean, even Ben Schwartz, Ben Schwartz, who lately, I have to admit, all I think of him as is fucking whichever duck he plays in DuckTales. <laughs> That's what he's becoming, because I love DuckTales. I, I, I was obsessed with that reboot. Uh, it's funny seeing him on. And I also forget, did you know he was part of an improv duo? Yes. I actually watched the the thing that they, – they, they did a couple of Netflix specials where they would uh, – they did their shtick. And my god, he's a damn good improviser too. He is. He's quite good. Legitimately funny. But, I mean, he – everybody is amazing. Like I said, even Aquafina at the beginning, I hated her. By the end, I was like, hell yeah, you are a part of this. And She's, okay. she's likable.
1: She's oh, I agree with Netflix. you.
0: I agree with you. I just didn't get what she was doing at first. That's the best way I can describe it. And I've been accused of doing that in roles, too, so I can't say anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had people come up to me and go, I had no idea what you were doing on stage, but I liked it.
1: <laughs> oh, well, that, that's actually a pretty
0: sweet compliment. You confuse me. Thank you. The best compliment that I ever got. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is out of <clears throat> in my theater. I, I got one truly terrible review that was all about how horrible I was. All the other reviews that I got were pretty much good. Uh, best review I ever got. I was in a production of Much Ado About Nothing. I was playing Baracchio. It was the second time I was playing the part. I specifically auditioned for this production to play the part again because I love that character. I don't know why. I just fucking love the Baracchio. I had. I. I think I have a fun take on the character. Well, one performance, this couple comes up to me. And we were doing it at Stan Hewitt, which is a uh, old manor home in Ohio. And they do outdoor Shakespeare theater on the terrace.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Oh, yeah. I did. I did Shakespeare there for years. It was a running thing with me and a group of people. I got sort of a uh, repertory company. A lot of the same people do it every year. Same director. But uh, after this particular performance, a couple comes up to me. And like we just wanted to tell you, Much Ado About Nothing is our favorite show We have seen it multiple times. We saw it at the Globe Theater. Mm. We have never seen an interpretation of Baracchio like you gave. That was amazing. Thank you. Wow. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm young, but I could die on that compliment alone. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I liked the character (laughs) for a reason but seriously that is a part that like if, if, if they were if that was around here i would come out of retirement to do that part you don't think you've aged out of it not that no not that character it doesn't need to be any age okay could be an older character there's no reason yeah there's no age thing i meant with your with your interpretation is oh re- oh oh actually no i want to see what would change in the time ah okay
1: that's an intriguing thought actually yeah
0: I'd love to approach the character from an older perspective. Another one that I would do in a heartbeat is, uh, I'm not a big fan of the show, but oh God, trying to think of the name of the show. I think it was As You Like It. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Touchstone. Yes, As You Like It. He's the the, the jester in that. I would do that character again. Not a fan of the play, but I absolutely adore that character. Mm Mm-hmm he's got this monologue at the end about the power of the word if That I'm like, Oh, well this one you wrote for me. I love this. (laughs) But anyway, sir, I am done talking. My brain hurts and I want to hit the ball. So I'm going to pass it back to you so you can talk for a second because my rant is done. And seriously, people see network and uh, see Renfield. Just know that there is a better movie with just two and a half minutes in it. Go ahead, Scott.
1: Well, I don't have much else to say except that, um, I don't think I was entirely fair at the beginning of the show. And before we go, I would like to confess that I may have been wrong about Jerry Warren's ability to learn from his own efforts and improve. On reflection, I feel it's not that he couldn't. It's just that he didn't. And I discovered the probable reason for that when I found a 1988 interview with Jerry by cult film historian Tom Weaver. Jerry summed up his filmmaking philosophy this way, and I quote, I'd shoot one day on this stuff and throw it together. I was in the business to make money. I never, ever tried in any way to compete or to make something worthwhile. I only did enough to get by so they would buy it, so it would play, and so I'd get a few dollars. It's not very fair to the public, I guess, but that was my attitude. You didn't have to go all out and make a really good picture. So there you go, kids. Never give up on your dreams.
0: Hit it. It's a new ending theme. It's a new ending theme. Scott and I gotta go and record a new show because content makes you all cream. That's it. We gotta go. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I choked on my coffee.